Welcome to Satisfied. This is Nick Jackson from Timberline Baptist Church in Lacey, Washington. Dude, you really do need the whole script, don't you? Did I mess something up? Yeah. What did I do? Welcome to Satisfied, where our aim is to behold the glory of God. You want to start over? No, let's keep going. Hey, this is is Bobby Gaither, pastor of Hope Fellowship in Hillsboro, Oregon. Man, what a week. (laughs) <laughs> yes, we hey, do. So you've, you've actually been out of town. I have. I was you went, in, you went East Coast on us. I went East Coast. I, I got to go and uh, preside in the wedding uh, for Joe and EA, some dear people, dear friends. And, man, it was an honor. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, wonderful people. And, of course, your people know Joe. Our people know Joe and EA. Yeah. Um, are, so, they, uh, are they staying out there East Coast? Uh, they're on their honeymoon. I think they're going to the Caribbean or something like that. And then... Uh, uh, no, they're coming back. Okay, uh, I, I, they are coming back to Portland area. I do think their family is 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 trying. They're one of his brother. He's got a wonderful brother. Uh, he's got se- actually several wonderful brothers, but uh, they're trying to recruit him back to Indianapolis. So we'll see how long we get to keep him here. But uh, yeah, for now they're coming back to Portland. So sweet. And what awesome. what have you been up to? You on uh, on vacation? You taking a vacation or anything like that? We are leaving in in a little bit, uh, about another week, and we go to Branson, Missouri. Mo, yeah, it's gonna be hot there. I yeah, yeah. It, there's not a lot else to say. Now the cool thing is, be big family reunion. See a lot of our family, uh, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody, which is a lot of fun. I really do enjoy that. Not so sure. I'm excited about Branson. Yeah, um, man, I you know I, it, it's, it was neat being in Philadelphia. I was actually in Philadelphia on the Fourth of July. Yeah, um, but I was in bed by eight and sleeping because of the jet lag. Uh, <laughs> dude, what do you I'm, like? Are you, are you like well in your forties? Uh, no, I am almost. I'm thirty nine. I'm thirty nine. Yeah. Um, but man, I love the West Coast. This is this definitely feels like home. Dude, I love I love West Coast. I love the weather out here. The people out here. Uh, yeah, this is a good place. Yeah, I, I met a really good brother, though, uh, on the East Coast. However, I met their pastor. I mean, there's several good brothers over there. Um, but Several. Uh, I mean, several. not a whole lot, but several. No, that's not what I'm saying, man. Uh, <laughs> that's, don't, don't put words in my mouth. Don't uh, go to East Coast. There's, there's no, no Christians no, no, out no, there. That's not it at all. Uh, but I did think we caught Pennsylvania on an interesting day, man. It was, like, stormy and muggy. It felt like we were, man, it felt like we were in a hot shower like in a bathroom right after a hot shower you know it was uh, i think pennsylvania is muggy though kind of a lot especially the summer um we lived in michigan and it was and we got some friends now live in pennsylvania and they were actually just out here saying it's normally like 90 percent humidity there yeah we we drove and here's the other thing is there's you know the amish communities out there so dude they make awesome food and furniture dude i i if we could have i could have packed any furniture on the plane i would have um but it's it's they really do ride around in buggies, like horse and buggies. And there's no check this out. Uh, their bicycles don't have pedals. They're like big scooters. I don't. I don't understand that. I'm really curious as to why. Wait, so, you, like, how do they go? I. It's it's like a bicycle frame, right? With like instead of where the gears would be, and you'd ride you'd ride the bike, you know, and yeah. use your gears to go faster. Right. There's like a ditch that goes all the way down to about, you know, six inches off the ground. Not ditch, but it, it dips. Like a curve? And yeah, yeah, a curve. And then you put your foot there, and you scoot. Like so, Flintstone style? Like Fred Flintstone style. Yabba-dabba-doo, man. Uh, That's strange. It was, it, you know, I, th- I think it has to do with the whole 
modern, you know, a gear apparently is technology. I don't know, man. It, it, either way, uh, sweet people. There's, yeah, that's weird. Here, here's the thing, though. I don't think I could be an Amish person. No, I, I couldn't like, either. But, I could use my pedals. But here was, here's what was great. <laughs> pedals. <laughs> Ooh, tulip. Speaking oh, of I pedals. See that? See that? Oh, look at this. Why don't oh, we just go on into tulip? Okay, one last thing. They had good coffee there. Well, yeah. I mean, there's probably no machinery that touches those beans. They're probably gently just <laughs> touched and taken care of. No, They're probably hand-grinded. I don't uh, think the coffee is from the Amish. But what I'm, what I'm saying is uh, I was still able to get my gourmet cups of coffee oh, there. That's all that matters. You know, okay, we just start because I have a whole coffee yeah. thing that just yes. went through. But all right. Okay, let's do it. Uh, so what's awesome is we are talking about Calvinism. And we have been talking about an acronym called TULIP, which summarizes five points of Calvinism. Uh, and we, we've already podcasted on total depravity, on uh, unconditional election, limited atonement. Um, and so we're not going to try to say a lot of things about that, although everything we up. say about that does play into what we're looking at today as we look at yeah. the I, which is irresistible grace. And irresistible grace is, is a doctrine that I think moves us to worship, moves us to evangelism, moves us to humility, uh, it is an incredible doctrine that boasts in the very glory and the very grace of God. And so I think what we want to do, we want to talk about it. We want to show how it differs uh, from Arminianism, which is a, a kind of an opposing position. Uh, and we want to answer some misconceptions. We want to look at scripture and just show why we believe that irresistible grace is what we would say most consistent with scripture. Uh and so uh, how about we dig in? Well, what we've done throughout uh, these podcasts is we say the Arminian position, then we kind of state the Reformed position, and then we begin. So, Bobby, how about I do the Arminian and then you do the Reformed? Sounds good. All right. So the Arminian position will say the Spirit calls inwardly all those whom he calls outwardly. He does all that he can do to bring sinners to salvation. But because man is free, he can resist the call of the Spirit. The Spirit cannot regenerate the sinner until he believes. So th there's an important distinction to understand here. They would say that belief, our belief in Jesus, precedes our regeneration. So we are not actually made new, given a new nature until we believe in Jesus. So, uh, they, uh, so that's kind of the, the crux there of, of what the Arminian position is. Uh, so how about you? Um, well, I guess, well, yeah, why don't you go ahead and do it and then we'll talk about it. So the reform position is this, that there is an outward call as well as an inward call. So the inward or internal call. The internal call is given to the elect and cannot be rejected. Thus, it's irresistible grace. So it always brings about conversion. The Spirit irresistibly draws sinners to Christ. He's not limited in his word of applying salvation upon man's cooperation for success. So, dun, dun, dun. so what, and I think one thing that I said there... Under the Arminian, we showed that our belief precedes regeneration. So they would say, we believe in Jesus, we find him beautiful, and therefore we're regenerated, we're given a new nature. But what you said 
is the internal call is given to elect cannot be rejected. It always brings about conversion. So there, there's a regeneration that takes place that then leads to conversion. So the reform position says, no, we are made new. The spirit works in us. It's because we're given a new nature that now we believe and we're converted to Christ. Uh, so that the way we see conversion and belief is different between both positions. Yes. Okay. <laughs> You're like staring at me. I thought maybe I was like way off. Um, no, so hey, show me this thing. What, what is this that you just sent me? Okay. So this is amazing. Uh, do you like that? You like that? So irresistible grace is not only a doctrine, it's a cologne. Oh, this is awesome. I'm so, this will be up on the website. <laughs> oh man. Irresistible grace. And folks, we gotta, you gotta be able to laugh a little bit, whether it's your position or someone else's. I'm sure you, it's easier to laugh at someone else's position. But it's position. great when you can laugh at your uh, own position too. It's, it's great when you can laugh at your own. Uh, so this is irresistible grace. It's, it's uh, in a Calvin Klein shaped bottle. Uh, it's for uh, irresistible grace for elect men, and and the the producer of it is John Calvin Klein. <laughs> so so like I think got, what would happen if we preach with this? Well, I, I think uh, not everybody likes the smell of of this particular <laughs> cologne. So oh, it's irresistible. The, you know, though, I mean, it's it's irresistible to for for those whom he called, and that, that's the whole point, right? It's irresistible to the to those whom. You know, God has elect. Oh man, that's uh, good. And, and that's and that's why this is really funny. It's it's it fits. It's a great theological uh, uh, point here. You know, it's it, it is a smell of Christ. Right? It's the aroma of Christ. Oh, that's awesome. In fact, that's maybe that should be on the backside is the aroma of Christ uh, uh, for those who are called. <laughs> hey, so let's uh, let's jump uh, in and uh, real quick. Uh, I think a good point to make and something we discussed earlier was. We believe that and that all of the doctrines of Calvinism are related to one another. And if you pull one out, in a sense, they, they would all fall because they are interconnected. Like you know, we believe in uh, a particular atonement that Christ died for a particular bride, which is why when the gospel goes to that particular bride, they're irresistibly drawn. But then you yeah. made a really well, good point that, yes, logically, well, they're all connected to one another. But that doesn't mean that everyone's going to hold all of these positions, especially in the beginning of the yeah. faith. Yeah, I think we do ourselves a disservice and I, uh, when we say uh, you can't hold one if you don't hold them all. And, and while I agree that they are consistent with one another and that they lead, I mean, total depravity leads to unconditional election, logically leads to a limited atonement, uh, Leads to um, uh, irresistible, grace. irresistible yeah. grace, right? And and to, down to perseverance of the saints. So they all fit well together. But I I don't know anyone who swallowed them whole uh, all at once. You know, it's it, these are doctrines that we have to sit and chew on and be convinced of. And and I really do think total depravity is the first one we need to be convinced of before we're willing and ready and able to accept any of the other right. ones. And I think that's just uh, a good point, especially for us as Calvinists, because sometimes there's the whole angry Calvinists. And I, I think a lot of times Calvinists are, are called or characterized as angry when they might say, no, we're just zealous. We're zealous for God's glory. We're zealous for what we see in God's word. And, and sometimes that zeal might not be communicated well. Um, but we, we want to make sure that... Uh, 
we believe our Arminian brothers are saved, as hopefully they would say their, their Calvinist brothers like us are saved. <laughs> um, now, that's not to say that these don't matter. Uh, understanding these doctrines definitely affect the way you view your salvation. It definitely affects the way we view God. It affects our confidence, our assurance, and our joy. Uh, so these doctrines play out in a lot of the Christian's life, if not every area of the Christian's life. Uh, but in the same point, we... We don't want to say that they're contingent, like our understanding of them is contingent for our salvation. Um, yeah, well, that would fly it really in the face of even the doctrine that we're preaching. Right. No, very true. You know, I mean, it's it's not it's not a works based. We're not saved because we're smarter, faster, uh, better looking. Uh, you know, and we're not Calvinists because we're smarter, faster, better looking. Anything. It's. It really is uh, just by means of God's grace and the illumination of the Spirit that we're even saved, that we even come to Him. And that's that's what we're proclaiming. That's a good point. That's the doctrine we're proclaiming. And, and, and that's why really, I mean, I would say Calvinism is humble. Like if you really understand how you're saved— Wait. It is the most humble of positions. Which I think that's just a good plug yeah. real quick for that Metters book again. Um, it's on the resource page. Get it. Like, it's really good. Yeah, uh, it's called it Humble excellent. Calvinism. I really do feel like he just did such a good job, not only explaining the doctrines, explaining the beauty of them, but doing so in yeah. such a way that leads us to worship, not division. I, I really think he did a good job. But hey, let's jump in uh, on one of the reasons we believe in irresistible grace is precisely because of what we've talked about in total depravity. Um, yeah. We believe, uh, based upon God's word, like, let me read just a little bit of, of Romans 8. Romans 8 says, uh, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, if it, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Um, wait, I jumped actually a little bit farther than I wanted to. Let me go back to Romans 8, 5. For by those who live according to the flesh... Uh, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I, I, I think it's yeah. one of the clearest passages in scripture that so, just talks about as an unbeliever who are in the flesh, meaning we do not have the spirit, we do not love God, and it says, indeed, we, we cannot please God. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important to emphasize that part. In, in the flesh, we are incapable of pleasing. We are incapable of, of faith. Yeah. We're incapable of faith, and that's and that's echoed in John three, right? That's where where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and um, he says, I, "I tell you, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven unless unless you're born again by the Spirit." Yeah. So, so here's this whole conversation with Nicodemus, uh, supposedly a teacher. He was a teacher in Israel, um, one of the Pharisees, and Jesus is explaining to him. That you can't you can't enter the kingdom. You can't even see the kingdom unless the spirit of God uh, is births new life in you. Yeah. And of course, this question is, well, how am I to enter the, you know my mother's womb again? And uh, and Jesus kind of explained 
the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Uh, Metters had a, a, a man used a great analogy. Um, part of what he said was, you, know, you don't cry out to God until you're born of the spirit. He, he kind of gave the example as soon as the baby is born, is birthed from the canal, right? That's when you we'll do, hear we'll do the baby's pictures, first Just cry. so people understand what that looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you um, need you education on that, my wife, then she'll uh, say no. <laughs> you can just personal message Bobby. I'll, I'll put his phone number up. <laughs> no, but that's Not good. So like much. That's a really good analogy. In fact, I, I don't remember that one from Metters. Well, I didn't remember it until you said it. Uh, babies don't cry until they're born. And then yeah. they call out. There has to be this, this birth. Again that then now we cry out in the same way we're born of the spirit, yeah. which then means we cry out to God. I love that. And for that, that John three passage though, was it John three twenty says for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. That's right. The Bible throughout from cover to cover talks about that in our sin, we, we do not love God. We resist God. Romans five says we're enemies of God. We're, we're rebels against God. Um, Throughout the yeah. scriptures, we see that we have no love for God apart from his grace. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, well, go ahead. Uh, and that, the fact that we're born in sin, I mean, that, of course, we've, we've hit Ephesians 2 so many times. Yeah, uh, we're born in We're, in we're born our, dead our in sin, yeah. right? And while we were enemies, Christ died for us. So, so. The, the doctrine of irresistible grace is going to sh- is, sh- is seeking to show the beauty of God who would not only die for sinners rebels against him who don't love him yeah but then also in his love and mercy grant new life and new birth and irresistibly uh, give them a, a new heart so that they will love yeah. him. I mean, th- that's the doctrine. The doctrine is I'm so dead and ugly and sinful that God had to do something in me, on me, in order for me to respond to him. And that is a beautiful thing. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, so, so that's, and, and that also, of course, gets in, you know, to, to the call. Well, let, let, me read right? a, let me read a quote by Metters. Um, Others are good. It says, do you feel the compounding and humbling effect of Calvinism here? The father elected you in spite of you. The son died for you when you didn't ask him to. And then it's not like you connected the dots on your own, placed your faith in Jesus, found a seat on the train to glory. No, the spirit drew you. Faith is a gift. We often think of salvation as a train waiting at the station. Prepaid tickets are offered, seats are available, and the people with enough sense, people like us, get on board before the last call. Wrong. God lifted us from our deadness like a mama lion picking up her cubs by their scruff. And he took us to the station yeah. and buckled us in our seats. He did it all. Man, I, just, yes. I just love that. Like, yeah. it's not, yeah. we are unable to see the beauty and the glory of God in the deadness of our sins. But upon the spirit awakening us, we see him, we love yeah. him, and we're drawn to him. Um, that's why we believe in irresistible grace is because of our sinfulness, uh, the effect that it has on us, and the need for God's grace to awaken us. 
Yeah. And and part of part of what uh it, it it is not as if we are God acts upon our will. Let me say that. I think we just we we need to get used to the idea, Christians, that that God has complete authority over all flesh. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We don't have we don't have rights. Like we we really we treat God as if He is a co-equal of ours, and we have right a right to be treated a certain way or a right to our own um, to assert our own uh, uh, to be the master of our own ship. Um, we really don't. He's the Creator, um, and and part of what we see is is in His drawing. What we see in His drawing um, is is God has has via unconditional election, right? Um, in response to total depravity, God has drawn a specific people for himself. Yeah. And that, and that's what, what, you know, we just finished with definite atonement or limited atonement. Uh, we like definite atonement better because he actually accomplished salvation. But Jesus, these are the words of Jesus in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So first question do all come to Jesus? Yeah, I think. No. Well, I think you're bringing up a maybe to to frame this as we move into this. Uh, the Arminian believes in one call. Every single person is yeah. called because they believe Jesus died for every single individual person, and thus every uh, and thus Jesus wants every single individual person to come to faith. And so there's one universal call. It's kind of like uh, a little bit like the Metters quote. Uh, the the Train tickets have been paid for everyone. Uh, the the guys st- standing out there holding out the tickets. Now it's up to you. Will you come? Take your ticket. Take will you get will, on board. Will you take your ticket. Get on board. And what? Yeah, yeah. What we believe the Calvinists will believe. What Scripture teaches is that there are two calls. There is the general call, or we might call the universal call, and there is the specific call. And the general call. Is it's given out to everyone, and and it's important to understand that because we have no idea who the elect are, and we're not supposed yeah, to know. Yeah, we don't. The only no. way anyone knows who the elect are is by those who actually profess faith in Christ and demonstrate the fruit yeah. of Christ. But so yeah. we see that the gospel goes to everyone. Um, couple texts like Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is just calling out to all. John seven thirty seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus yeah. stood up and cried out, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." So there is this call that when we when we're sharing the gospel, we don't we don't have to try to figure out, man, who's elect, who's not. We just we just call. We call all people. Um, but then yeah. what we do know is that. The Spirit will use the Word, and He will specifically draw some people. And I think yeah. that's what you're now getting into with the John yep. six. Do you want to do you want to keep doing that, John six? Sure. Yeah, yeah. So John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me, friends. These are these are words of Jesus. It's, it's the Bible. This is like red letter, so they're much more important. This is red letter. Like if you're into words. the red letter, this is the red. <laughs> this is like ultra red. This is okay and bold. So if all the Father gives Jesus will come to him, who's going to come to him? All, all that well, the Father gives. All that the Father gives him. So That's good, yeah. Who? So, I mean, he, Jesus defined it right there. And then he says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
So, so there is a security, and this this goes to perseverance of the saints, right? This goes to our next, our, our next, the next letter of tulip. But you you got to keep reading too. I mean, Jesus further defined it. He, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, "Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." I mean, that's pretty clear. I mean, no it, one, it's, it's pretty darn. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me okay. draws him. So go back to why is that? We talked about that earlier. Well, we have to because, like what we said, in our sins, we do not want God. We, do, we, don't, we don't we want don't God. love God. We, we cannot please God. We do not find him beautiful. We take no delight in God. Yeah. And so, so we, we, don't want, we don't want God. I mean, in our sin, truth is we do not want God. Yeah. yeah. So, and then he continues, and I will raise him up on the last day. Right. And here's what's interesting. Like in this, in this exchange that Jesus is having with the Pharisees, he, he's, he's, he's saying, I'm the bread of life. Right. I've come down to heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing. Check this out. This is verse 38, 39, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So all that will, all that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me won't cast out. Uh, I will lose nothing, nothing of that, that the father has given me. Like there is such security there. Right. And then he says that in uh, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father sent me, draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45. And it is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Now, initially when I first read that, I'm thinking, well, Jesus is God. Here you go. So Jesus is teaching them, but that's not the way Jesus is saying it. He says, everyone who has heard, and learn from the Father comes to me. Well, Wait a second. Yeah. So there's something that the, that this, the God the Father is doing that draws people to Jesus. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. In, in an irresistible I mean, in, way. In an irresistible way. The Spirit is doing the work of drawing people to Jesus. And we would say that's the work of regeneration where he is and awakening we would, yes. us. To uh, uh, giving us a new nature that we would believe. Yes. So two more points. I'm going to run Wait, through really let me, quickly. Let me jump on that one just for oh. a second. Uh, okay, go for it. Since we're yeah. in John, let me let me jump to John 17 real quick. So this is the priestly prayer. Uh, uh, I'm just you had well, to go there. You know, I mean, it's it's red <laughs> letters, so uh, it it's got to be better. Now, just so you know, we're, we are kidding about the whole red letter edition. There, there is a movement that some people think the red letters are more important. But we believe, and as Scripture yeah, says, all, all scripture. words are inspired oh. by God there in the Bible, yes. so not yes. just the red letters. But anyways, uh, so this is a little bit of John 17. This, so this is right before he gets arrested. This is his priestly prayer. Uh, just listen to this, starting in verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they, and they have received them. And I've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have, been, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given yeah. me, for they are yours. So Jesus yeah. is praying for his disciples at this moment. And what we'll see in verse 20 is he's praying really for all the church. That's us today also. But he says, I'm not praying for everyone, for the world, in the sense of yeah. all individual peoples. I am praying for those whom the Father has given me. That's 
That's pretty interesting language that leads us to understand that there is a particular bride, which is those whom he irresistibly draws. All right, sorry, go ahead. I had to throw in the John yeah. 17 because no, it's just it's yeah. it's interesting on how Jesus man. prays right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's it. He, he, he let me continue in the thought because we're going to get back. We're going to jump to Matthew and then back to John. So Matthew 16, uh, Jesus is asking his disciples. Because the crowds have left him because he said these hard words, right? And he's asking, who do the people say I am? Uh, And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this passage, typically, you know, we look at Jesus' statement afterwards in 18 and 19, and we emphasize that. But we skip over 17, and we shouldn't. Here's what verse 17 says. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So who's going to come? Those who are taught and drawn by the Father. Who's going to know that Jesus is the Christ? Those, Those through whom the Father reveals. And and who's he going to reveal them to? Those who are his sheep. So here's John 10. Now, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And they're asking him, how long will you keep us in suspense? This is verse 24, 25. Uh, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name bear witness about okay, me. And now, dun, and dun, he dun, dun. he's going to say uh, why they don't believe. This is key. Like, this is super important. Verse 26. Here's, yes. here's the purpose statement, right? You, But you do not believe because... You are not my sheep. You are not among my sheep. That That's Why that's not, pretty incredible words right there. I, that, I mean, look, everyone paints Jesus as this picture of this um, very inclusive, very loving, which he is towards sinners and towards all nations. But what they don't... We don't often paint the picture that Jesus was exclusive in his love for his bride. Yeah. You know, let me, let me, he had an exclusive love. Let me love jump on it. In the beginning of John, we read this. Uh, but, but to all who did not receive him, uh, who believed, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is John 1 12 and 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Mm-hmm but of God. So what, what he's doing there, he's rooting our salvation in nothing of humanity, not of blood, yeah. not, of, not of our flesh, not of our will, but of God. It's his grace. And so I, I think just to come back, like I think what you're arguing in, in John 6 and what really what we see all throughout John and really all throughout the Bible is that the only way we come to God is is by his irresistible grace awakening us, drawing us to him. Um, I, I use this. I, I told you this yeah. kind of illustration yeah. earlier. Um, I think the the Armenians w- would say that if if we're all in a jail cell, that because of Jesus on the cross, all the all the jail cells have been um, the, the doors have been opened, the gates are open. And they would then say, now it's up to you. Will you walk out? And everyone has this free opportunity. Everyone has the ability to walk out. So it's basically, will you believe or will you not? Um, God's done his part. Will you now do your part? 
Now, the Calvinists will say, and of course, every illustration can get picked apart, but if we were to kind of stick with the same analogy, all the doors are open, they would say, well, based upon Scripture, no one will come out of the jail cell because we love the darkness. We love our sin. We don't see anything beautiful outside that jail cell. In fact, we hate it and we don't want it. Um, the only way we're going to be drawn out is if God changes us, if God, by his irresistible grace, gives us a new nature, that then we would see him beautiful and that we would be drawn towards him. Um, well, and, and part, of, part of the conversation here as well, we're so good at anthropomorphizing God. Like we, we tend to view God through like, what if God was another... Whoa, what was that, buddy? Um, what if God was just simply another man? Yeah. And and so, and he wasn't. He Jesus was was man, but he was also he is God. And so so we can't look at the way we would do things and project that upon God as if if God has to do things this way to be just. And 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 here's where I'm going with that. Would it be right for you and I, I or, or let me let me rephrase that, in our sense of who we are, as as we we innately know we're we're fallen, fallible people, even though we don't know the extent. So, for us to say, for us to condemn, for us to only choose a certain portion of people to be saved, and not choose others. We in our position would say that would be unjust. Well, why? Well, because we're fallible human beings. Um, because because we don't we're not holy. Uh, we're not perfect. We're not. We don't fully grasp either the extent of our own sinfulness. So so how is it that God? would choose some and not choose others. Is God then in, in, unjust? Right. Is there is there injustice on God's part? And I'm, I'm reading right, out of right to nine. Romans 9. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Answering the same question. Uh, is Romans 9, what you see is God, Paul speaking to the fact that most of Israel has rejected their Christ. He, they rejected their Messiah. And Paul's saying, but it's not like the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all of our children of Abraham, uh, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. And he goes down and he talks further about Jacob and Esau. But God choosing Jacob, that the older shall serve the younger, in order that God's purpose of, get this, election might continue. Yeah. Not because of works, but because of him who will call. So you see election both both in the nation of India, but also Israel, but also individuals. This is true of the Old Testament as it is the New. Uh, the older shall serve the younger. As, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. And Paul is just answering the question before it comes up. What shall we say then? Is there injustice with, on God's part? By no means. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. And that's key right there, that verse 16. Not on human will or exertion. We we got to hold that 
uh, the truth of that, that it's, it's not based upon our abilities, on our minds, on our intellect. Um, well, and praise God, it's not. Oh man, isn't it? Like, like think because if it was, we would all be condemned. None will be saved. Well, and I, and I think that's, that's a good point to make is that as we're arguing for Calvinism, we really believe that it, it leads towards a humility and an adoration of God. Um, and, and it leads to confidence in our evangelism. I mean, just think yeah, what yeah. we've said, like, let's just flesh this out real quick. Um, so, so, so we go, we share the gospel and let's say you're, we'll just say as a Calvinist, as a Calvinist, we go and we share the gospel. Um, our confidence then is not in my ability to share the gospel. My confidence is not that I articulated everything perfectly. My confidence is not that I was, uh, or my hope is not that I, I will close the deal, but but rather my confidence is in God. It's in his grace. It's saying, yeah. look, all I'm called to do is be faithful. Trust that the spirit is working in me, that I would share the gospel. And God is the one who brings forth the fruit. All I'm called to do is, is to present the word of God. And yeah. God is the one who saves. So whether I say something wrong, whether I mess up on things, um, whether I, I say it all right, it's God who is the one who saves. We are called just yeah. to simply be faithful. Now, that moves us. I mean, that ought to encourage us to share the gospel because that takes the weight and the burden of the yeah. uh, of the results completely off of us. And it says, yeah. and, and it gives us confidence because when we go uh, and we share the gospel, let's say we go to another country and we end up sharing the gospel with a hundred people, or maybe we stand up in front, even here in America, and we share the gospel with a hundred people, or you got 10 neighbors and you go share the gospel with 10 of them. And you might say, man, what hope do I have? Well, we have incredible hope because we know that when the spirit works through the word with those whom he has elected, yeah. God will draw them. Yeah. I mean, we have incredible hope, incredible confidence, not in ourselves at all, but in God and his grace. So here's something that especially those with missionary zeal, which we love, we want to encourage. But the thought that, that, that many stumble over is, well, God, why didn't you choose them? Why, why didn't they come to faith? And, you know, I, I heard a great response to that and, and this was helpful to me. We're asking the wrong question. If we say, why not them? Really, the question we should be asking is, why me? Yeah. Why me? Why, why have I come to this knowledge of your grace and the beauty of your, of your salvation? Like, like, the world is this dead in sin, and yet, why me? Uh, we... We, when we say, why not them, or when we ask God, uh, and we, we're putting ourselves in the judgment seat, and we're not realizing that in and of our own self, we should be judged. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think, but we can't glaze over that. Like, that's a powerful understanding. What you're saying really only comes out of an understanding of our total depravity. When we realize yeah. how guilty yeah. we are, how helpless yeah. we are, how sinful we are, how darkened in our understanding that we are, how ignorant that we are, how blind we are to the beauty and the glory and the grace of God through yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
when we understand that, that's what leads us to why me? It's when we wrestle and we think, hey, you know what? I'm the one who provides the faith. I'm the one who chose God. Therefore, how could we ever limit it? Well, we'll hold on here. If we understand that no one should be chosen and no one is worthy and no one can choose God because of our sinfulness, that's then what leads us to this humility and this awe and this adoration of God, which is why, again, we'll press back and say, yeah, our our Arminian brothers are saved. We believe our Calvinist brothers are saved. But understand these doctrines will affect the way we worship, will affect our joy. And I do believe... That through Calvinism, again, it's not about the guy. It's not about the guy. And Calvin would, like they say, roll over in his grave if he knew there was a whole, you know, teaching uh, after him. But it's about these truths in Scripture that move us to worship. And as we understand them, they they draw us deep into the into the Word of God, and they help us to see. And to understand the beauty of the gospel yeah. so that we would worship him in a much deeper, I would say much fuller and a much more joyful way. Um, that's the joy that comes as we understand God's word rightly. And I believe it does. It's going to affect our actions too as we go forward. Um, hey, let me say one thing I, you mentioned. Uh, you were kind of pointing out that there's a tendency for us to for us to think of God like, like ourselves, treat him like another creature. Um, uh, mm-hmm. John Frame has done a really good job and, and it's been very helpful in my life in always maintaining a creator-creature distinction. He says that a lot yeah. in his books. But there was another guy, a guy named Matthew Barrett, and he wrote a book called None Greater, and it's The Undomesticated Attributes of God. This book is phenomenal. And in it, he helps us see how God is different than creation, how he is not like you or me. It was an incredible book that really highlighted uh, what it is to be God and the truths of who God is through his word. So that's a really good book that I think does an amazing job in helping us see um, who God is and how he is very different than creation. So that, that's a great resource. Yeah. I was, I was going to say one last thing. Um, under, it wasn't until I understood the doctrines of grace that I had a security. Yeah. That I really, that I really understood the love of God for me, that Jesus actually atoned for my sin and keeps me. And, and it was John 10, 27. Like this, this isn't, let me just read it. So first he, he tells, he tells the, uh, the Pharisees, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. And he says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And friends, they're, if, if, if you love Jesus, you see all of who he is for you on the cross, and you're drawn to him, you've been irresistibly drawn by his grace. Yeah. Uh, he says this, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And here's my security. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Like, so this is how this doctrine plays out for me. As I have just come to recognize my own sinfulness and how it plays out on a daily basis, I realize that every day I commit a condemnable act before a holy God. Even the smallest bit of dis, disobedience, even the, the, the wisp of a lustful thought, even, uh, even um, uh, the, an ounce of pride, is condemnable before a holy and just God. But here's the deal. Jesus paid for my sin, past, present, and future. He has drawn me to himself. I see him as beautiful. And because he's drawn me, and because I've come to him, he will never cast me out. That's good. That's only possible because of... Because of what he is and because he is holding on to us. Um, hmm. that, that's, that's affected how I live. That's affected uh, my joy for certain. Uh, that, that, that's what gives me the courage to stand in grace, as Paul says. To stand in grace before the throne of God. To stand. Well, I think um, what, you're, what you're touching on is is what we've argued in, and also their podcasts regarding this doc, these doctrines, is that the, the Arminians, they believe that God had a very abstract love as his son died on the cross. He died for a bride, not a particular bride, but, but just a bride. And that bride, you know, could consist of anyone. Um, and so anyone who, who chooses him uh, could be a part of that bride, but Technically, there was no particular bride. But when we come to Calvinism, we believe that Jesus died for a very particular, a very definite bride. Whoa. And that on the cross then, like he, he knew you, Bobby. He, he knew me. Yeah. He knew all yeah. those who, who will believe in him. And he died particularly for them, knowing their sins, knowing their rebellion. And he died for them. He died for us, saved us by his grace, adopted us, placed his spirit in us that we would have confidence, guaranteeing that he will persevere us to the end, that we will have eternal life and spend it with him forever. That's the beauty, I think, of Calvinism is that it's meant to fill us with joy that God knew you. That it wasn't a, hey, you know, I'm just throwing this cross thing out there. And, and I know that sounds, uh, the Armenians wouldn't say it that way. But Jesus is going to the cross and we'll just, we'll just see who comes. No, he died for a particular bride. Look, if you have trusted in Christ, if you're listening to this, then, then that means Jesus died for you, knew you, loved you, saw every single part of you, knows all of your lust, all of your anger, all of your wickedness, all of your immorality, and he died for you to cleanse you so you would be a part of his bride and he would hold on to you forever. That's that's the beauty of the yeah. cross. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, I want I want to touch on uh, misconception real quick. Uh, one of the yeah. one of the okay. misconceptions uh, is that. Arminians would say, okay, if you're saying God just draws people irresistible, it kind of treats people like, like robots or like puppets. And 
Now, it, it's important to understand no reformed Calvinist, uh, that's kind of redundant there, would say it like that or believe that Scripture teaches our salvation that way. In fact, uh, DeYoung, uh, he did a good job. He said in his book um, that God does not work on us apart from our wills, but he spiritually revives us, heals us, and reforms our wills. He doesn't drag anyone kicking and screaming into his kingdom. I, I think there's this idea of like, when we talk about irresistible grace, it's like it's like the mom feeding peas to their child, forcing them into the child's mouth. And the child's like, no, I don't want peas. No, you will have them. This is irresistible. Um, or, or like an avalanche that's coming and it's going to wipe away a town. And this town doesn't want to be wiped away, but this, this avalanche is irresistible. And so it's going to wipe them away. Um, and so there's this idea that, oh man, maybe these people don't want God, but yet God's just going to force his will upon them. And, and now they're going to be kicking and screaming and they don't really want God. That's not at all how scripture talks. That's not at all how any Calvinist yeah. believes. Yeah. What we yeah. believe is that we are free in accordance to our nature. And so as an unbeliever, we would say that you are free and as free as your nature is. So you will, you will choose that which is in accordance with your nature, meaning if you are sinful in your nature, you will only choose that which is sinful. And you are free to choose all that which is sinful in that sense. But then upon the Spirit regenerating us, giving us a new nature a nature made after the image of Christ, we now see the beauty of Jesus. And so now, because of the work of the Spirit in us, we're not robots. We're not like puppets being, you know, moved by some outward force. Um, but in our very hearts, in our very minds, in our very wills, we do want Jesus, but only first because we've been regenerated so that now we see him beautiful. Um, so we do not believe that this is against our wills, but we believe that God actually changes our hearts and our minds with this new nature. And that is why we want him and our wills are drawn towards him. Yeah, and I would add to that, Jesus, the Bible speaks of our condition before Christ as enslaved. So, okay, so, and, and Paul also, right, uh, described this as slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness or slaves to whatever we present ourselves to. But here's the deal. Jesus, if, if you really want to be free, Jesus says, if the this, this son sets you free, you are free indeed. Like our freedom is, is we're not free until he sets us free. And, and that's the point you're making is that we, we are slaves to our desires. We are slaves to our nature. And until God changes our nature, until we are rebirthed, we have no desires for him. Yeah, it's so, so true. If the sun sets you free, you're, you're free, free indeed. indeed. Yeah, as we uh, as we close, I, I want to say just this one thing. Um, it kind of goes back to something you said uh, somewhere in the very beginning. I think we were talking about um, when when people first come to know Christ, they they might hold an Arminian position because because they're they're right. We do choose God. Um, we we choose God, but we would say we choose God because. He has chosen us. 
Um, what we want to make sure as, as we do our theology, which every Christian is a theologian, meaning we have this knowledge of God and we're called to study God, is that we do not let our experience determine our theology, but God's word determines our yeah. theology. Yeah. Because sometimes the way we interpret our experiences or the way we feel about them may be wrong. Yeah. Um, John Piper did a really good job. Uh, I, I was listening to something he was talking about a while ago. And it was on Calvinism. And he said, look, we do not believe in Calvinism because we can logically show the connections between each of them. He said, I don't care about the logic between them. He says, I care what scripture says. Now, that's not to say that scripture is illogical or anything like that. But his point was, don't try to argue people because of the logic that connects each of these points together. Show people what scripture says. Yeah. And so I, I just want to say, as we go forward, let's always take yeah. our experiences. Let's always take our feelings and let's lay them up against God's word. But God's word yeah. always trumps and God's word should inform the way we interpret our feelings and our experiences. Um, so, and that's just a constant practice that we need to have as Christians. Um, and it's one that we need to help yeah. one another in, in community. Because sometimes I'll be blind to some of the ways I'm feeling about things or thinking about things. I need, I need someone like Bobby or, or people within my church to press back on me and say, wait, is that what God's word says? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a, at some point we should chat more about epistemology and how that's developed. Like in what, another podcast. Like in another oh, podcast. There's another one, man. We yeah. keep marking them uh, up. Yeah. Cool. But but I think that's great because we even even there's mystery even in this. Even in Tulip, there's there's mystery here that we don't fully know how how God divinely sovereignly does these things, and so we we hold these things with an open hand. Um, and you know, just just a one thing that. As you mentioned, mystery, man, I, as I've grown in my faith and my understanding of God, just by his grace, I'm so much more okay with mystery. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think in the beginning, it's like, no, I'll figure it all out. And I think it's maybe, I don't, I don't know if this is true, just of all Calvinists, but I felt it was true to me. Like, oh man, I, I can figure it out. I can, I can articulate these things. We can know these things. We, we can explain all the mysteries of God. Uh, there's so much arrogance there. Uh, but now... Man, I, I'm really okay with if there's mystery and sovereignty. There's mystery in how God's God's sovereignty works with our with our wills. Um, there's a lot of things that we can know. There's a lot that we can know. There's a lot that Scripture tells us. But going back to that, God is Creator. We are yeah. creation. Yeah. Um, we cannot understand all that God does. For if we could, He would not be God, or yeah. we would be gods. Um, but it's precisely because we do not understand all things. Um, that we are created and he is the creator. And that's a good distinction. And uh, yeah, anyways, we keep going on that kind of stuff. Yeah. How about we, uh, how about we pray it out? Yeah, I'm going to nominate you. Sweet. All right, let's do this. All right. Father, Father, you are good. Father, you are gracious. You are steadfast in your love and your mercy. And God has as we have looked at your word today, we see that, God, all those whom you give to the Son, uh, God, the Son will keep. The Son will, will raise up on the last day. Mm -hmm. 
God, that is the hope that we have. Our hope is in your work. Our hope is in your mercy. Our hope is in your grace. Our hope is in your steadfast love, not in our works, not in our intellect, not in, in all the things that we, we can do, but it is solely in your grace. And Lord, we thank you for the work of your spirit that works in us, that transforms us, that regenerated us, and that continues to uh, transform us into the image of your son as we read in 1 John 3, 2. Lord, I pray that as we've had this discussion, uh, I pray that you have been exalted. And I pray for those that listen, that Lord, they would just be drawn into your word, uh, that, that they would see you with greater clarity, with greater joy, with greater assurance because of what you have done for us in your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word that has given us the truths uh, that we have, the truth that sets us free from sin. God, may we rejoice in your word. May we become uh, learners of your word. May every single believer realize that your spirit is in them, that we can read your word, that we can understand your word, that we can know your word, and that we are to press deeply into this word that you've given us. For it, it is given for our joy. It is given to equip us in righteousness. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this. In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to Satisfied, where our aim is to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can find information on our podcast and resources at www.satisfiedinchrist.life. That's dot L-I-F-E. On it, we'll make fun of Nick as much as possible. No, we won't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but hey, but we're going to send it away. We're going to send it away with Mitch. Once again, we threw on a new... A new uh, a new, um, a new bumper? A new bumper, didn't we? Yeah, we used the second one. Sweet. Take it away, Mitch.